I know, I know, season two is over, but what is not over is creativity. And also, this really special code, 20% off right this second at NathanMorrisMusic.com. Click any item and at checkout, type in NMM20. That is N as in Nathan, M as in Morris, M as in Music 20 for 20% off any shirt you purchase at NathanMorrisMusic.com, the official merch store. There is good stuff happening. You hold tight. I assure you to continue to meet you where you are and please meet me where I am on all the socials, like buying you something and then taking a picture of it and tagging me on Insta at Nathan Morris or saying something to me at Nathan Morris Music on TikTok and all the other fun places. January 20th, a new single releases, a new record in the works, soon to have a release date for that too. And then hold tight because season three is just around the river bend. You're loved far more than you could ever know. Thank you for all that you bring to this life because you are worthy. Head over to the store right now and grab you some swag. Code NMM20. Die Trying contains sensitive subject matter and conversations surrounding death and dying and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is respectfully advised. Parting is such sweet sorrow. It is. It's it's sad. It's like my junior year of high school, it's the last day, you know, field day in elementary school. We've all got our ribbons and, and they don't do that anymore because, you know, not everybody gets a trophy. But this feels kind of like that. This is a season that is that is coming to a close. We have put out episode after episode, week in and week out, meeting you where you are and you where I am. And I'm grateful for that. And since I'm obsessive-compulsive, there's no better way to end a season than on an even note, right? An even number, because who wants to end on odd? That's odd. <laughs> it's odd. Yeah. Hold tight, because this is, this, is, this is the final chapter of season two, episode 160 of You'll Die Trying, a show which has and will always pull back the curtain and take down the walls brick by brick just to expose the true hearts of those who are caring for those you love most the funeral director let's go big turkey foot coffee exclusive providers of our brown brew and supporters of this podcast thank you each of you for an incredible an incredible season and this season that we are in has been a wild season you were a part of this tiktok thing i don't even know what to call it at nathan morris music where in just a short six months the noise became so loud a hard reset had to be pushed and a breath taken a moment to mend the ship and mending I am being a funeral director is a beautiful service job 
calling, ministry, work of mercy, what you want to define it. It's beautiful that there are people that I work alongside that do this night and day. And I hope that you have something to do to combat the thing or things that you put in your backpack, the emotional, the unseen, right? But the felt, people ask a lot on Instagram at Nathan Morris, they'll send messages and say, you know, I love doing this, but I can't un, I can't unpack it. I can't let it go. And so what are ways that you cope? Well, I run and I write and I record and I, I perform and I travel and, and all those things. But I started to do all of these things and so much more and just put things in the boat to the point that the boat started to sink and take on water because I wasn't tending to the boat. The boat's me, by the way. It's like, <laughs> that's the analogy I'm using. So I've paused, emptied the ship, and I'm mending it. I have to. There's a journey that I'm on that has been a quiet one. Only those who are closest to me and the circle closest to me have been made aware of. I have always kept people at arm's length. I always tend to stonewall because you can't get too close because if you're not too close, you can't hurt me. You may do that. It's a defense mechanism. And those of you who have been exposed or grew up in trauma, you understand. And if you haven't, that's just a part of a child's way to defend themselves. They are strong. No, they're not. They're not physically capable of defending. So what they do is they turn inward. The journey that I'm on is, of course, a thick and heavy and just, I can't think of the word. But I'm on it. I'm being honest with you. I'm okay. Everything is okay and is going to be okay because what I've said, I do not fail. I will not fail. And you... You won't either. You won't either. I need you to know that. You're worth it. You're valuable. You're invaluable. And you deserve to know that. I recently was welcomed by Alan, Alan Clark. You may not. You actually, you you probably won't. You see, that's the beauty of Alan and people who are creatives like him. He is the beauty behind the lens. He is the mastermind, has taken photos of some of the most notable of people, just beautiful in the way he thinks. And people, you, you've seen his work and you don't know you've seen his work. Well, now you get to hear his work because he and I sat and chatted We had a nice little chat. And the thing about Alan is, and you'll hear, he he truly does meet you and me where I am. And he cares and he follows up with texts and checking on. And he has this awesome podcast and he talks about photography and he interviews people and talks about their, their line of work or their philanthropic service. Well, I just so happened to follow a doctor on his podcast. It's pretty ridiculous. He he did this on purpose, but he asks a very a very poignant and very honest question. 
Have a listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Photo When Taken podcast. And on today's episode, we are interviewing and talking with our friend, Nathan Morris. Hey, Nathan, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? Only what is happening? difficulties on my end. I'm an idiot. It's always, it's <laughs> always this way. The last, the, funny, the last episode that I recorded was Dr. Jennifer Lavasseras. She, she says, don't do the French version. And she works as a curator at the Smithsonian, and we could never get her Surface, her Microsoft Surface, to ever let us do video. It just kept jamming up. So we we ended up doing audio only, and I guess I'll use what like 20 minutes of video that I got for like social media, but it is always something. And it's interesting because coming into this or coming from the pandemic or even going into the pandemic, you know, we all, none of us thought we were going to be Zoom web casting experts and we've come out of this and I think everybody's got a, a skill that they can add to the end of their name now besides whatever they do, like me, photographer, you musician, uh, whatever, you can now tag on to that, you know, simulcast expert, webcast expert, you know, I'm Zoom kind of, expert. I'm kind of... Uh upset that I'm following a doctor, a learned doctor at that. And you're like, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, we couldn't get, we couldn't get anybody. So we'll, no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I think it's Isn't that funny. I, it's like the first season, my high mark was like, it was like, okay, here's a Nat Geo photographer. Here's a uh, NASA photographer. Here's somebody that shows in New York exclusively, exclusively. Here's Michael Greco who did uh, the X-Files photo. So the first season, Michael Greco is the one who did originally back in the 90s. He's the one that did any of the photos you've ever thought that you saw of them in the hallway for the X-Files. Mm. That's Michael's work. And so he was on the first season and everybody was just like, wow. grief, man. And uh, some people I, I asked to come on. Um, do you remember Nath, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, the movie? Yes. So Kip, the brother, you know, the one that was always just, yeah, yeah. There's always I, you're just jealous. You're just jealous. I've been online <laughs> tricks all day. So he he's his name is Aaron Rule and he's a photographer. And I asked him to come on the first season, and it was right it was right when the pandemic was at its worst. And so I can't remember what happened. I either stopped or he stopped or we could never get it hooked up. And so he uh, he's also a photographer. He was a professional photographer before he was ever on Napoleon Dynamite, and then. Uh, he became a director after Napoleon Dynamite. He started directing more commercials and commercial work and stuff like that. So we just never could link up. But it was just weird how I was trying to really go for all different works. But he didn't want to come on the podcast because he was just like a NASA photographer. And then me, I don't, I don't know, man. Like he didn't consider himself yeah. big enough. And I'm like, dude, anytime you've had anything where a million people know who you are, you're fine. It doesn't matter what you do. And so that's been interesting for both of us because now both of us on social media, you and I, Nathan, have had a pretty decent crowd looking at what we're doing. And the main reason why we're talking today is because of the journey that we've both been on to this place. So just, you know, maybe let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you did when you were in high school. What were your, you know, what you were dreaming about? What, what were the things that you liked and, and, and how did, you know, how did that change as you got to where you are now? I think it's really interesting the fact that it ever really has changed, like the, the root of it. And when I was little, I wanted to be a garbage man, and I loved how they could pull the lever at that time. You stood on the back, and they held the, the handle, and they would jump off the dump, the, the dump truck, and they would run to the toter and pull this lever. 
I mean, I wanted to be a magician and the magicians are doing these masks, just these magnificent sleight of hand tricks. And so I started yeah. obsessing over creating a, a, an illusion and entertaining people because I loved that feeling that they received and the feeling I received from them receiving it. So hmm. there was something there. And then for the irony of a punishment, so to speak, Miss Harris made me come and sing in front of our music class. And instead of being punished by it, I was, I could sing. And she was like, well, that didn't work. And that was uh, the trajectory for me. And that was at eight, nine years old and voice lessons followed. And I was a, an athlete in high school. I was bored in high school. I was always thinking about and dreaming about what I'm going to be one day. And um, I could have kicked uh, a high school football player. I could have kicked D1. I could have you know, done all these things. Instead, I went and I toured with a band two days after graduating high school. And then I become a mortician because I meet a pretty girl. And <laughs> I like being challenged. If I'm not being challenged, then I don't feel alive. If I'm not pushing the ball up the hill, then I don't feel alive. Hmm. And then we had kids and then I continue to create because I have to create. And then a pandemic happens and I'm writing songs because I'm mentally ill. I'm not well, I don't feel well. And because you're working in a funeral profession and you're surrounded by sadness, you have to get it out somewhere or it's gonna get you. And then a video uh, is posted unbeknownst to me on TikTok, which by the way, I had a whopping 38 followers on TikTok, I think. The mm. first two videos are just me walking in the driveway singing a song with my three-year-old. It goes viral. Second one goes viral, and then you're talking 20, 30,000 followers a day, every day for, wow. for months. And it was overwhelming. It's was like, oh my gosh. So we made a commitment to start posting content that was intentional. And I realized that the eight-year-old in me realized that I was getting the dopamine from knowing that what I was doing was impacting people. I was scared of death, or I, was, I just lost my mom, or my brother just committed suicide, and you made this mm. so more comfortable and comforting. And then they went and they found all this the old content, the content that had been previously released prior to getting off tour. And then now all the noise is ensued, but it's always been there, this desire to invest in other people. It's interesting. Um, you have come at this from almost like a true artist, because I think you're coming, you're coming at this from the perspective of just, there's no labeling. Like I haven't heard one thing about a labeling type of thing with you, and that can be good and that can be bad. You know, the, the the positives are that you can do a lot of things. The negatives are is that you can do a lot of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? And well, so that's the toughest thing is just you know as you go in this build, and and it's weird because social media, I think, only exemplifies or magnifies maybe a little bit more of who you are sometimes, and so that can that can be good. But like the hardest thing for me has been. Like, how do I, how am I more clear? How do I get this, what I'm trying to say more clear? And the thing that I have discovered is, is that you just have to start first. That's the best, that's the most important thing. But you did that. So you did that already. And then, then something viral happened about that. But then you kind of have to start from there going, okay, okay. All right. Now I've got all the, uh, the boys in the yard came because of the milkshake. So now what do I do? You know, and then you kind of have to figure out, okay, well, what kind of, content am I going to do and what kind of, what am I going to say and what am I going to sing and what exactly am I going to show them and what do they want to see? And so there's all this little combo of stuff that's happening and you came into this 
almost the same way it is right now. There's nothing that's changed. Like you just said a minute ago, that was the first thing out of your mouth. You know, nothing's really changed since I was little because I've just been this way. You know what I mean? Like from the beginning, like there's nothing different about me. Nothing. Things around me have changed. You know what I mean? I think there's, there's something beautiful because the first video was authentic and, and 100% authentic. And that is what people saw. So they were drawn toward the authentic version of me. So anything that is not authentic would not hit or reach or impact. So there's are you saying are you saying that you feel like some of the stuff that you were doing was just super authentic and that's why it worked? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that everything that I'm doing is authentic and I it doesn't have to be this level of great. There's mm -hmm. there's also a I, I am going to what's the word? I'm going to contradict myself in a minute too, but good is great enough to get it out. If I believe in it, if I'm intentionally and passionately uh, excited about what I'm saying or doing and I put it out, I don't, I don't need it to be this perfect edit. You know, I don't yeah. need it to be this perfectly lit. I don't need it to be because if I do that, then I'm not capturing. I'm not doing it's just it's a lot of getting ready to get ready at that point yeah I know the it is that it, i know the reason that it hit is because it was just authentic it was literally me fumbling over words and then they're like oh this guy's an idiot and i like him <laughs> it's like yeah 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 we an idiot together yeah yeah actually uh that's kind of the opposite of how i came into this so i came at it from a different perspective and that is my perspective was that I came from radio, I had a TV background, I went to school for it, then I just kind of stumbled into music business, and then I just kind of stumbled into this, doing photography and stuff like that. And it was always a love of mine, but somewhere along the way I picked up narratives that were, you know, like coming from a production side of it, like where you had to have things be like this and that you didn't mention mistakes and that you didn't talk about, you know, what piece of equipment broke in the middle of it breaking and stuff like that. So I kind of came at it from that perspective and the struggle that I've had till this point has been uh, letting go of that, letting, you know, letting that be, letting it be okay that it's more authentic. I think, you know, even in photography, you know, my career in the beginning, even when I worked, I worked with film for 14 years and then digital for, you know, another 14 years, but up until, you know, what? five years ago everybody was okay with photoshop now it seems to be a part of the conspiracy theorists on every level and i'm like you all know that people don't look like this on the front of cover of cosmo we all know that right yes, like we all don't lie well, but but they act like it's some kind of conspiracy like oh do you know that people have stretch marks i'm like yeah but hmm. the you know the industry itself or women or men or whoever's in charge or the publisher or the art director or the photo editor has asked me to take those things out. It's no conspiracy theory. It's just, you know, when it's blown up in the cover of their magazine, it represents what they want it to represent. And you have to realize that about everything you look at. Every single thing you look at represents whoever it is that's putting it out there. And so they, if they don't want that, they don't want that. Like before you and I started the day, I just said, hey, could we turn this, tweak that light, move this over mm -hmm. there, do this kind of stuff. I'm not trying to make you look perfect, mm -hmm. but you look pretty damn cool, you know. Well, so that's the it's just I woke up this way. I think there's something beautiful <laughs> there with what you're saying. I, I'm totally for, you know, if I show up to a photo shoot with you and I look really tired, absolutely, you need to take my dark circles out. I think that's great because whatever you're putting out there is a is, I don't want to say perfect, but how we want 
me to be de depicted in the best way with all the tools that we've been given or that have been created because of creative people, that's beautiful. That's what we do with, with music and singing. I mean, Charlie Puth, perfect pitch, and he still auto-tunes. Think about that. He does. That's kind of dumb. But it, it's, that's used for, dumb. it's used for a tool. It's yeah. used for a, a tool. My point is, is like there are all these different tools to utilize if you're intentional about it, then you will create that movement to get people on board to appreciate it. I don't well, know. To, I think it's cool. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think people have this idea about everything social media or just life in general or videos or any kind of thing that's going to be in front of somebody. They have this idea. Like they're confusing photojournalism with perfection, which is confused with authenticity. I think every moment, by the way, tell the girls in the hallway to hush it up. Um, you can't hear it on here, by the way. It's fine. You can't. That's, that's a, all that matters. A, yes, that's what happens when you work in an environment with. They're just so but, loud. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> girls, you know girls what we used to do? and boys rule. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we used to do? And like I was at a job once, and even the women would do this as a joke. They would they would start, the women in the break room, when they get really loud, like the agents would start yelling. When I was at William Morris Agents, they would start yelling in the hallway, you be quiet, keep it down out there. And then they would start, go, all of them doing it at the same time. They'd all go, boop, boop. Like they were all hens. It was really when there's ten women doing that. That's actually pretty funny. Mm -hmm. When you get ten different people all sounding like hens, it was we all would always start laughing every time they did. We have four. I have four uh, lovely ladies that I work alongside, and this is the studio that's connected to Kayla's office. And right, you know, they get together a couple of times a day and make sure that they, you know, fix everything. Well, I miss working in an environment with people and we'll take meetings sometimes outside just to have some kind of human contact. Because if not, I'm in this dark cave like constantly and it's, <laughs> Where it's not I? good for your mind. I, I mean, you saw, everyone right. saw Cast Away with Tom Hanks. You saw what it did to him. Yeah. That's He's talking to a volleyball with a bloody hand on it. He's having to <laughs> knock his teeth is, out with his really could happen, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he knocked his teeth out. There's a reason. Yeah. Remember, he had to do his own dentistry with his mm -hmm. ice, this ice yeah. skate. Uh, but backing up to what I'm saying is, is that people confuse authenticity with photojournalism, which is confused with Photoshop and, you know, trying to make things look better when maybe they don't look necessarily good in someone else's opinion or their opinion. And I'm just like, I, even when I construct these moments, Nathan, when I'm sh shooting my shoots, which sometimes can be like that, I've got a, you know, I've got a costume designer or I've got a wardrobe stylist and I've got a makeup artist and I've got um, somebody just for hair and then there's four people and we're trying to do covers or whatever. There is a goal to make everybody look the best they can possibly look. But at the same time, and we're not, I think every, even those moments are authentic, even though they're built and constructed. I mean, I built it. I constructed it. How is this yeah. not also a real moment? You know what I mean? Like this is Absolutely. also a real moment. I agree with that. We didn't flip to wormhole all of a sudden, you know, this or like this isn't on television only. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. this is these are real moments. I think people get confused with what a real moment actually is. It's yeah, I think so too. I think you're right. I do. do you uh what is what's a real moment that you've gone through recently? Well something that's happened to you recently where you were like, Oh man, this is not this is not TikTok. This is this is not this is a real moment right here. The irony of TikTok being yeah. not TikTok, you you do this and you're authentic and intentional about it and then all the noise happens you know and you have the naysayers and you have you know i've always grown up i want i want to be friends with people it, i don't want everyone to like me 
So don't mm-hmm. get that confused. But I always want to be friendly to people and kind. And in return, they reciprocate said kindness. Mm-hmm. Instead, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise. There's there's a lot of good, but there's also a lot of noise. And you know, people also are going to fall off. You know, we've talked about this. You know, the noise and the the best way happens. Oh, Alan's leveled up. Let's hate him now. You know, it's that's how it's sad. It's sad when I know that I've got a video that's going to do really well. I'm not kidding, Nathan. Mm -hmm. When I know I've got a video, it's good. I've got one right now. I'm going, it's it's sitting at 1.8 million. And I've got, I know when the video is going to do well because it's people talk up and they they show up and they start Mm -hmm. trolling and just talking shit and being negative. And I'm like, I know every time when the video is going to do really well that that's what happens. That's the first people to show up. And it's so weird. You go to their accounts and there's zero followers, zero friends, and zero posts. And that's usually because they're just getting on there to be shitty or mean. And they're getting on there to, to just take people down. Or, you know, some people are always like, oh, it's bots. And I'm like, Really? Is there is there some evil mastermind in the background creating evil bots? I know. I just think it's people, oh, I think it's sad people that have had a bad day, and it's what it's their way of taking it out. It's almost like playing video games or punching a punching bag. That's that's what they're doing to they're feel better. To connect. They're hoping to connect with someone, and even if that means starting a negative interaction, they'll keep it going just so that there's an exchange. That, that's the hook, I guess, for them. Maybe that's probably, how they do it in their family. I don't, respond, yeah. I don't respond to that stuff. One person did write the other day, like, what's wrong with your hair? I, wrote, <laughs> I was like, nothing that I know of. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's even though Johnny Bravo tall to the sky, but that's me. And I think we as human beings need to just meet people where they are. And sometimes we we don't. And that's what has happened in the past month even. Yeah. So you you don't look at the naysayers. You don't let that affect you, or you've gone through it already. And you know, because like what happened to me was positive feedback. Everybody's great, and then the, a couple of negative people. And the one that actually affected me was a photographer who actually knew what he was doing. Got in there and basically just was mean about my work and went after me personally. And I just deleted the comment because I knew it wasn't great for me. But I mean, look, here I am still talking about it. You know, that's yeah. probably like four or five months ago. Jacqueline took it down for me. And uh, it just was like, I don't, uh, I don't listen. I don't, you know, why are we kowtowing to these people? Why are we giving them? Because you never, you've seen those accounts where they've got a million followers, they're doing great, and then they like pull up the comment and then respond to it. I'm like, why are you wasting energy mm-hmm. on these? these trolls, these idiots. And I'm just like, what's the point of doing that? It does no one any good. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help them necessarily. Um, interestingly enough, I don't know if you've watched, I love Sarah. I don't actually, I don't, I really don't love Sarah Silverman. I like Sarah Silverman, but I didn't like or love her until she was on either a podcast or it was some social media thing. And she basically just said on Twitter when somebody's really, and I'm talking anti-Semitic, like horrible mm-hmm. to her, or just mean about her body shaming, anything like that. She goes back to them and DMs them directly and asks them if they're okay, if they need anything. And I was like, Damn. dude, that is, mm-hmm. that's, other, that's other level. Because we can thing. we cannot, for mental health, what's good for you doesn't mean it's good for everybody. Sarah's strong enough to do this, or at least right now she's strong enough to do this. Is that a, is that a way we can approach things? Because if we're going to really make this any different, I think it was weird because you knew and I, you and I both went to church when we were little, and we know how that's kind of driven into us about serving others, helping others, and that kind of stuff. And man, I saw that, and that's the first time in 
a while, especially with this subject that we're talking about. I've seen somebody respond like that, like in her position and who she is. I was like, I was touched. I was touched by that. When that first started, when this first started, we were commenting on everything and even the negative stuff that we would say, thank you for your, thank you for sharing your outlook. Thank you for sharing your opinion. You were heard or you were honored and all that. And so the dynamic and the tonality changed drastically. Now to the point, if you go on and you're going to be negative, the community that we've built on TikTok, I'm not kidding. Mm. They, they push them out. Mm-hmm. They're like, you, you have no, you have no space here. You can actually go back and watch some videos and read some of these comments and you'll see negative comment. And then everyone, a hundred people attack them in, in the sense of like, what are you talking about? Are you watching as hundreds of other videos? One that really bothered me at first was this 30 year professional in the funeral profession who said that I'm an abomination to this profession. I did, I did see that. I saw that. And I kept it. I kept it up there. Uh, I left it. I think it's important for people to share their opinions. Granted, he had no construction whatsoever. He's scared. It's obvious he is scared of this sacred profession being placed on social media for people to see. In a sense, I think that the 30 and 40 and 50 year veterans are scared that it will demean their superiority. Right. So if you're in a small town and you're a funeral director and owner and like you are, sounds really stupid. But when you go out to the supermarket, you know, everybody you serve on the city commission, you're the guy or gal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this time you're the guy and you earned that. You have the license, you have this and everyone's come to you for three generations. And now some tall hair asshole is going to go on social media who, who did all the same things and does them arguably just as well and is showing that the common folk can achieve what they had and that was untouchable and that scares mm. the living shit out of them and that's real i would say yeah and how much of this do you think because i'm you know as two white guys <laughs> just i mean being yeah. honest yeah how much of this do you think is just you know i don't know about your profession but my professional photography has been ruled by you know 70 80 percent white men for so long, it's because they had the means to go get a camera and to buy lights and all this kind of crap, you know. And one of the early conversations I had was about the what's the, the barrier of entry. That was the big that was the big buzzword, and it's still kind of a buzzword in most professions. The barrier of entry. And years ago, the barrier of entry for me as a photographer was you had to have, I don't know, man, just even 5K, 10K to even get a camera, to get lights, to get backs, to get this, to have this, to promote that, you know, whatever. And you had to have a, a good amount of money to be able to do anything. I always did everything organically. I fight, scratched, and clawed for everything that I ever got. Nothing was ever given to me. I know how much everything costs. I don't. I can't say that about every photographer I've ever met. But our our profession has been ruled 75% white men forever. How much of that do you think is what this is, what you're talking about? It's, it, it's not just people are threatened because of this new way of doing things, but it's really all about barrier of entry. How much do you think that is what it is for your profession? You weren't hired into the profession forever. You were born into it. We're talking six generations. I mean, you can go back. It's like six generations, seven generations of care, and it's all men. I wouldn't say primarily white men. Now you have, you really do, you have African-American funeral homes, you have Jewish right. funeral homes that specialize in, you know, their their faith community or their ethnicity or, or backgrounds. 
what the shift is, the barrier of entry for us is young females. So forever it's been men, men, men in suits, men in suits. And now you're having females just dominate. I think over 80% of people coming out of mortuary schools are female. Wow. Look on our, yeah, if you look That's at a big deal, hosp- dude. If you look at our hospitality. That's a big deal. Staff, and they, all yeah. women, all women. That's amazing. And that's actually, that's really good because now our barrier, and then that's the other flip side of this conversation to barrier of entry. White men have held on to this for a long time, cost you this much money to get into this profession. Oh, yeah. And now the flip side of that is now everybody's included. The, in, the, the inclusive nature of this is just, just broken wide open. And there's so many great people that can be a part of this for very little money. And that's kind of the, that's what's happened to our profession. You can now get into this profession $600, a couple of lights, 250 It is a take a zero off of what it used to be, and that's where you can get into it now. And you can, the other great thing about photography is you can get your money instantly. There's very few businesses that you can get money instantly. Like I'm talking instant. Now I've got corporate accounts advertising big money things that are, you know, months in the making that are on 30 day net kind of stuff, which I'm sure you have some of that too. Or maybe that's the way you have to deal with vendors, but that's the same. You know what I mean? There's there's that part of it. But this profession, you get money instantly, and so th- it's 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 a different world, and people are kind of kind of terrified in a lot of different industries for different reasons. <laughs> you know, I, I can't imagine that, and I think your world is similar to. You know, I'm, a, I'm not speaking to my creative side. I'm speaking to the funeral professional itself. But you can get in your stagnant and comfortable way, right? Shooting this way is how Mm -hmm. I'll get the result. Is the result the most exceptional result? Are you pushing yourself with different lighting techniques? Are you pushing yourself in the way in which you shoot? And not sound like an ass, I'm sure, in how I'm saying this, but... No, you just sound like a a photographer, actually. (laughs) Are you really doing that or are you just settling? And I think that that is what, that levels people up. Anybody can spend $1,000 on some equipment, but they're not going to be around very long and they'll be on eBay within a month. I'm just telling, oh, you. I'm telling, you're telling you. me. You're telling me things I already know. You're preaching to the choir. Uh, you're, I'm um, telling you things I hope you hear. Yeah, well, that's you don't ever have to worry about me when it comes to lighting. There's not one way to light. <laughs> I always say this. This is like half of the, what I say. Yeah. Half of what I say is, you know, you cannot take three lighting styles and apply it to every single thing you do. And to me, it's almost like you custom fit. My my outlook on lighting and photography is cut it custom fitting it to what the subject or what the nature or what the client is and who they are and their brand. I don't really like throwing my style on everything. Yeah. That's kind of a, it's a little needy, a little grabby for me. It's a lot of people to feel heard though too. I love that about you. You know, I think it's, yeah. well, this is where I fit and you need to fit here. And I think that we need to accept and hear and adapt to to meet people there. I don't know. I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful because if you were shooting me, I would hope that you would have this element of mis- mystery, this element mm-hmm. of, all right, we're, we have the gentleman, the funeral director, obviously he's going to probably be in a suit but there's also this like grit with the music so we want to add that element what does that look like that's what i would envision and you know i don't want to be you know this bright and shiny glittery mess i don't think that that's who i am 
don't think so. Your um, you know what's funny? Right now about how you want to shoot, don't you? <laughs> yeah, actually, I was already constructing it in my head. I want a hearse. <laughs> oh, dude, that would be so dope. Um, so, Nathan Morris, tell us, do you just tell us your name and tell us what you do for a living? I'm Nathan Morris. I am a mortician musician. Bet you've never heard that before. No, I haven't. And I love this because all I can think of, all I'm thinking about right now is the social media of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And you doing that is actually pretty, pretty cool. That's a mm -hmm. cool way to even sell this podcast. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for that, sir. But yeah, no, that's such a unique thing. There's so many things about it that are intriguing. It's the same things I think that are intriguing about it on social media. Um, you know, the big thing for me is I don't know, I don't know how to classify you because that's what another part of my build is that I came up striving for perfection and no one, you know, in, in hearing these types of things. I remember that one song by 21 Pilots about Lane Boy. Uh, I heard that if, you've heard, if you've heard the song, um, it's he. It's his response to the labels telling him what lane to be in. Oh, and I so uh, it's. I can't remember. I don't even know if we. Could, I would love to be able to play it on here. And I think there's a rule if you can play it for 20 seconds or 10 seconds or something like that. But I love the lyrics of this song, and it's just basically saying just stay in your lane. That's what mm -hmm. he's. That's where he, he got that feedback. Stay in your lane. And if you listen to him, one minute they're sky, next minute they sound like the police. Next minute he's singing, uh, all my, was it all my, uh, oh, take it slow. Oh, uh, na, 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 take it slow. It's like yeah, a ballad yeah, yeah. almost. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. and then it goes into, you know, like some kind of pop song and then it's just like, they're all over the place and he's just like, I'm just going to be me and do my thing. And that's exactly what he's done. And look, they haven't had a problem. They are not struggling. That is for sure. I think being intentional, being kind being passionate about what you do. Uh, don't be a hack. Don't do something because you think that's what's going to sell or that's what's gonna could be connected with because that's not your true self. I'm gonna drop a Malcolm Gladwell statement on you. I'm gonna see how you think about this and what's your mm -hmm. take on it. Um, one of my favorite things he said, now people are always going to the 10,000 hour thing. That's one of his, from his book Outliers, which is a great book, by the way. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. And it's mainly about just the amount of work. People are always, especially young people are always curious about when am I gonna make it? When is, when is this going to happen for me? And it, and this isn't like a Bible, like the amount of, like on the 10,000th hour, it doesn't go ding, you right. know, and you're like, I'm going to be huge. But one of my things, the ever, favorite things he ever said was love is the way in. That's that. I love that. People always, and especially when it comes to songwriting, and you'll relate to this, people have that idea or ideal that love is the answer because we've heard that phrase a million times and he he says no love is the way in and that's a completely different statement what do you think about that yeah i think that when you are intentional and show love the doors to someone's mind creativity heart body place of safety that opens up and that yeah. is the way in the, the way in to then make incredible things happen. That's what I hear. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that Pete Townsend song, Let My Love Open the Door. When you feel which safe, I, I love that song. When you feel safe with someone and feel accepted to be your true self and you know, every every relationship 
even if it's as distant or as general as social media connectivity, but it's transactional. It's, I'm mm -hmm. going to give you this of me, and in return, I get this. And with an intimate relationship, a friendship like yours and mine, it's I'm going to invest in your life, mm -hmm. and in return, I, if I am your true friend, will invest in yours and not say, hey, how about that brand partnership? <laughs> there's, there's always that, you know, that, that's real. And in the creative profession, in our profession, I think any, I, I think any way of life relationship, yeah. there are the one-sided. But relationships, if we look at them as a transactional thing, they really are. Are you, yeah, I would agree. Are, are you giving the value? If you're buying something for $100, is your $100 thing worth $100 or worth 50? And you're just cheating out another 50. Listen it's interesting. I don't, know if, I don't know if you follow the Enneagram. <laughs> Say it again. What were you saying? I said, listen to me being the philosopher. I don't even think that's philosophy. I think I'm just talking out of my ass now. <laughs> like, I think it's, <laughs> but it's a little yeah, Bill and Ted. What you need to do is like, take the three. Dude. <laughs> philosophize. Yeah, philosophize, man. Okay, you can go back to being smart. You were saying, the, is it the Enneagram? Yeah, I was going to say the Enneagram. I'd, yeah. I'd not, like, that doesn't define me. But, like, uh, there's some traits in some of these things, the different things. Even hell, of, even horoscope, there's some things that are like you. But um, the thing that I relate to the most is there's one of the earmarks of being the helper, which I'm supposed to be the two, the helper. Um, I love like crazy. I love hard. And when someone else doesn't do that the same way that I do it, I get really upset and disappointed and even kind of shattered a little bit. And it lasts a little bit longer than normal because I when like for instance, let's say you and I were doing pro bono for each other. I was doing some work for you. You were doing some work for me and we were going to trade. Um, mine, if my limit or my value is $3,000, I might give you five thousand that's how i am and i don't and everyone else isn't like that and when they don't do that back they don't return that back i get really disappointed i get really upset and that's not me talking about that but what that is is it's not me talking about that like as a warning to you what i'm saying is is i think sometimes there are unfair expectations that we put on other people kind of based on our personalities or some of our traits and things like that and i think in the same way um, you can have an over perceived value of what your worth is sometimes like, you know, and sometimes that comes with entitlement when we're yelling about entitlement with a younger generation or kids or whatever, that's actually what we're talking about. We're talking about an over, uh, perceived value of something like, you know what, your value that you brought to this just really isn't that great. You think it might be greater than it is, you know? Yeah. I was told expect nothing from anyone and you won't be let down. And I love it. Expect no, anyone from anything from I don't think I worded that right. That's that sounds like a terrible No, that sounds that sounds expect, pretty accurate. It's like expect nothing from right. anyone or no one and you won't be let down. And I think there's truth there. I think if you give with the intention of not getting in return, then you're like, Okay, it's great. It's no big deal, they'll sweat off my back. I think, but uh, to me, I think that becomes a problem when that's what happens to you every time. That's when you're ignorant. Yes, I that's a that's a kind of a deal you're doing with yourself, not with other people. Yeah. 
That's yeah. the deal you're cutting with yourself. Yep. And I think sometimes people have that problem because they can't see the difference between the deal they cut with themselves and the deal they make with everybody else. Amen. Um, I think we so, just had a therapy session. That was nice. That felt really good to me. That was a duality going on there. I, I was getting a lot out of that too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's nice. So tell me, <laughs> so tell me, um, what are some of the things about you that, that maybe some some of your friends may not even know what what's give me give me one thing that about you that something that you are or something that you love that we may not know about you Ooh, that's good i come from a very broken home and multi-generational abusive alcoholics wow mm -hmm. and i am not abusive and not an alcoholic so i, I just it. Yeah, that's good. You broke that cycle. That's right. that's incredibly powerful. That's so powerful, and it's honestly so hard to do. And everybody that's going to listen to this episode, this podcast, will know how hard it is to do. But don't think for a second that you can't. It's it's real, and it's something that I recall. I think I was 15 years old, and I rem remember this. I was told that my great-grandfather was an abusive alcoholic. Yeah, and then I go down. And I'm like, well, Granddad was, Dad was, or is, but I don't have to be. And so right. I made that decision at 15. I, yes. Do I love beer? Absolutely. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't have that as a as a challenge. And mm. I choose, I choose to reflect in anger instead of react. And I choose to step away for a moment and press pause and reset and all these other things. Not that I feel like I would struggle with, you say something, I'm just gonna punch you in the nose. But right. at 15, I made that I made that pact. Hmm. And I'm proud of it, and I really am. It's three generations. It's literally, it's probably before great-granddad. Think about it. And who am I to fault them? You love them and accept the fact that they sucked with that as their decision and that they mm. but there's so much power and I have so much power because a lot of people who are in my situation and circumstance would have been <clears throat> violent aggressors drug addicts alcoholics angry hateful people that hate life and I don't I'm proud of that so that is something that not everyone knows but now a lot of people do <laughs> and I'm okay with thank, it thank you for sharing yep. that Yep. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, you know, it's there's not a lot we could do to change our past. There's not a lot we can do to change our history, uh, but we can we can offer it grace, just like we do the present history and the future history. And I love that phrase. I've heard this in the therapy that I've spent these last two years doing myself, and that is the grace statement of um, they did the best with the knowledge that they had, and I and I love that statement because that gives some grace to them where they needed it but at the same time you know they were what they were and you can't you know you have to be honest about what that was and how that affected those around them but at the same time if they made any changes or that they didn't or if they took that stuff to their grave or if they actually worked on it and tried to do better there's some grace that they can be offered because we have been offered the same grace you know and we cannot 
be grace misers or grace judgment, you know, judges or whatever, because that's not our job. And we can just offer them some things because that's been offered to us. And, and this is about the most religious I think I've been in a very, very long time. <laughs> I, I think meeting people where they are is something that that experience in my life has afforded me. And I don't mm-hmm. place titles on people. I don't place there's the asshole or there's the slut. Those are just stereotypical, <laughs> yeah. whatever. But my point is, is I will have a conversation with the asshole and I will go out of my way to talk to them and to just let them know that they're appreciated, even if they yeah. still don't want to have anything to do with me. Same thing goes for the slut. I'm going to talk to her and let her know she's valued and important. Or him. Or him. Yeah. Or him. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's really important. And I think that's a beautiful thing. You're right. Yeah. Grace. Grace yeah. is a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. I don't think that Christianity can be the only hold on that. And I think people need to get over that because I think people want to kind of almost like claim it as if it's a flag for their country. You know what I mean? Like this grace is only a Christian statement. And I'm like, no, it's actually a pretty awesome statement, period. Grace is giving somebody something that they don't deserve. And that's what that is. It's, you know, they deserve worse probably, but they don't get it. They get something better than, so it's not, it's not a negative and it's also not neutral. It's actually a positive. You're giving somebody a positive when they either deserve negative or, or neutral. And for you, it builds you up. It just, yeah, it just helps you. It helps them. And I've heard some amazing stories of grace that have nothing to do with Christianity and some amazing stories of grace that have everything to do with Christianity and, and Buddhism and all the different things that are out there. So to me, I'm just, I recently just stopped myself. I just stopped July 1st from, I'm not drinking anymore. And I don't know how long this will last. I don't think I'm joining a program or anything. I just want to get a better perspective on it. I've drank from the time that I was 14, 15, you know, maybe. And and I've always done it the same way. I've always, you know, never drank very much. But when I did, I just went way too hard in one time, way too hard in one day. And I don't, no, I don't think like I'm a true blue as in need a program or I'm not going to make it through the day or I think about it all the time type of alcoholic. But when I do it, there's no stopping. I just kind of do it till I pass out. And that's not, that's probably another form of alcoholism or whatever. I don't want to think about it too much. I just want to stop, get some perspective on it. Maybe I'll come back to this. Maybe I'll have a beer one day, but I'm not even thinking about that right now. I'm just, I just decided to stop and that's new for me. That's brand new for me. Well, it's beautiful, and I appreciate you sharing that. And that is, that's a, that's a powerful thing that you're able to do that. It's pretty cool. I think we need to give ourselves uh, give ourselves grace and be gentle on ourselves and with ourselves. But Yeah, the I, I would agree. Of, the beauty of community, and that's what this is Absolutely. all about. And I want to say that to tie this together, I serve alongside my team 1,500 families a year, and we sit around the table and we talk about all these accolades and beautiful things that have been done. Never once has the shit been put in the obituary, right? But we, yeah. we work to format, formulate, and the, but when it comes back, it's the first draft and there are always revisions. So mm-hmm. if anything, the funeral director, musician, mortician in me is like at this moment right now, we can literally rewrite our, our obituary. That's pretty awesome. That's interesting. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. I remember like, so my father passed away two years ago and I remember the time that I spent in the meetings with these guys, you would really probably like these guys that I, where my dad was taken care of. Right. And you would probably like them because they 
were so nice and helpful and I just felt nothing. It was nothing like when my mom passed away. My mom passed away a long time ago. It was just done like back then it was done like it was always done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And now this was different. There was mental health things that they offered through their company if you needed it. There was uh, videos about preparedness. They would help you with these things. Like they helped me get dad's, the military to show up to do taps for us because, you know, he didn't, I don't think he retired full honors military, but he was, you know, honorable discharge military. So the, you know, the difference, you, and you know, the difference. Veteran, yeah. So he was considered a vet. He was in there for 17 years. And so, but in the military, there's a difference between the 21 gun salute and the taps thing. So they send taps out when it's this, they send 21 guns when it was that. And I didn't, I didn't know that, but they helped me figure that out. I mean, it was like, I felt taken care of and loved on. That was new. I'd never, I did not feel that. I was confused and hurt and stuck with the bill uh, back when my mom passed. And that was a very different feeling than the way that my dad's services and everything was handled. And I was very, very much thankful. And you know what's weird? It was the same place. Same place handled both. They had changed so much in the time between my parents' passing. That's beautiful, too. Yeah. That much change can happen. Yeah. That's that's awesome. There's hope. They they do things differently, and it was just a different show, you know, because it is a little bit of a show. And it is. It's an it's an experience. You have two days to get eighty, eighty years right. So you mm, better, interesting. You, you better come prepared. What are some very human things that you've experienced? Um, and I mean, kind of things maybe that we wouldn't expect about being in the you know in the profession that you are, like something that's just so. Like I can tell you, just a moment for me that was a big deal, and I told you this the first time we talked was just going and buying my dad's socks so he could wear on the way out of this world, you know, and that was weird. I still have two pairs of them, and wear the other two pair that were in the triplicate. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. you know what I mean. Like, yeah. there's something very odd and touching about these things. What is something that you've experienced that was very moving to you? My father-in-law, who, <laughs> who uh, against his better judgment, gave me a shot over 10 years ago died May 14th of 2022 and I was his funeral director Mm. and um, you can't be you can't be family and a funeral director you have to be one or the other yeah and in choosing to make sure that his funeral was carried out you know as well and as exceptionally well as it was it meant forfeiting my seat with the family in the pews and uh like i didn't get to experience that losing part in the loss yeah and uh it chokes me up because you know i still have to put on a face and a show and <clears throat> and be everything that i have to be and tidy up death certificates and make sure his legacy is preserved in the company and you know i didn't i didn't get to i mean like I didn't get to be in that seat. So it's, uh, that's something I've recently experienced and it's not easy. And I framed his eulogy beautifully. It's beautifully framed. It's actually in the entrance as soon as you walk into my office. And, uh, sometimes I'll just glance at it and something will stand, stand out. And mm. one thing was, you know, my, my, my late father-in-law was very private and quiet, right? At work, he had his job. Um, and, Dr. Carroll pointed over it during the funeral and he pointed at Mike in his casket and he said, never once could Mike 
point and say, rise up, rise again. He couldn't fix it. They were dead, they were gone, and the family was left in pieces. So what he did was he went home to his shop and he tinkered and he toiled and he put things back together that were once broken because at work he couldn't. Mm. And so it was almost, uh, it was uh, almost healing for me because Mm. the relationship in any family business and dynamic, but then you add this element of grief, immense grief that, that he carried for over 60 years. And then now I am exposing and Megan and all of us are exposing our hearts to it literally it it does it changes you and that was a that was a moment of forgiveness it was a moment of realization and reconciliation it was all these moments so now Mm. here we are in September and I'm still thinking about the life that I've chosen right yeah at at the cost of honestly and this isn't a pat on my back this is a pat on the funeral director who took care of your dad the funeral director who took care of someone that you love, they choose you over themselves. Interesting. That's really sweet. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes total Mm -hmm. sense. What are some, what are some themes? What are some things that you see run that, that move with like a thread between us all, you know, the people that come in and, and we have to trust you guys to do this. What are some themes or a thread maybe that you've seen? That's just a really interesting thing whether you have a little or a lot, they want you, they want to know that they're valued and worthy. Mm. They want to know that someone cares, someone or someone's. So when COVID took away community, that's literally the only thing that heals. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And so what we did was we rallied and we created community and we showed people that there were people that cared about them. And so we put this massive, beautiful, tent outside in the parking lot and put all the flower arrangements, put the loved one, we put the cemetery greens on the lot and, and put the casket there. Our casket was open. We put the family behind these. Some funeral homes were putting literally like concert barricades. We were putting these beautiful ropes that you'd find at the theater mm. and we created this beautiful parade of cars, trucks, SUVs. Oh, that's a great idea. So people would slowly drive by windows down and they spoke from afar and they were able to see hundreds of people and the yeah. funeral director would stand masked up and, and they would ask the name of every person because you know the register book that people want to sign to say that they were present mm-hmm. and came. Yeah. Well, the funeral director, we would sign it on their behalf and present it to the family and say, everybody is accounted for. And whether there were 12 names or 1,300 names, it was they felt community and they were able to grieve and feel a sense of we have people who are supporting us. And that's all we want. It, mm-hmm. We can yeah. say that we're loners. We can say that we don't want to go to church because we don't want to be around a lot of people. We can say that we don't like people. But yes, we do. Whenever, <laughs> whenever someone's gone. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. So I don't want to say why music. I do want to say, like, what do you want to do with it? What do you want to do with the music that you do? I want people when they hear it to be like, hmm, that, that's beautiful. And not beautiful because of melodically, but, and not necessarily because of lyrics. I think because I put it out, that's beautiful enough. I think because of obstacles that have been overcome knowing the story, or I think because, oh, here's a funeral director with four kids and where the hell is the time? 
where, where does the time just manifest for him to create these songs? Where did these songs come from? Oh, that sounds like he's sad in a similar moment. That, that's what I hope it does. Yeah. I want it to humanize. I want it to humanize not just me, but other people. I want people to really be able to say, that dude really gives a shit. <laughs> I mean, I, and I think that, you know, you a hit song has a AB format and, you know, that it's the same thing. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I want the heart to be behind every note and every single vocal comp. I want it to mean something. It's interesting, Nathan. I think you actually, I don't know what your Enneagram or any of your personality traits are, but it seems like in both, it's about taking care of others. Hmm. It seems like both, you know what I mean? It seems like both of those are kind of macro things. They're not micro things, even though it does affect each of us, it, but it's a very macro thing. It's a, it's kind of you putting your hand, your arms around the world. I... uh I don't know if I want to share that story, but I'll share this one. I, I always ran from mission trips. Never wanted to go on them. I don't have a servant's heart, but I think it's the polar opposite. I think if I went, I would have not wanted to come back because I wanted to continue to help. But that's what I do with the company, with the team. You know, I'll find out about something and no one knows any wiser and I'll pay for something someone's down on. You know, I won't get specific, but... Because I don't want to pat on the back. I don't care. I don't, I yeah, don't care. Yeah. I really yeah. don't. And I know I have this massive, I picture this massive, massive basket. And, and there's just God keeping track yeah. of the calves. Because, yeah, I want, I, I do. I, I want the fruits of my labor to be rewarded, um, eternally rewarded. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, here's a tough question. Who takes care of you? When I die? Or no, just, just right now. now. Who takes care of Nathan Morris? Honestly, right now, no one. And that's a honest and sad but hopeful answer all at the same time. I, I'm pretty closed off, though. You know, when you grow up in a world of, this isn't an excuse, this is simply a fact thing, but when you grow up in a world of turmoil and abuse, you that's what you do. You yeah. literally retract and retreat, and you find safety. And even when you need protection or support or uh, help. Uh, so, you know, that's something that that's a season that I'm in right now and seeking that. I believe wholeheartedly in therapy and, and therapy is critical and crucial. So if I have to answer, it would be my therapist that, that I do have help. But, you know, and you could argue and say, well, don't you have a brothers and a spouse? And yeah, yeah, I do. But just because that's you know they're in my life doesn't mean that they're not doing other you know i don't don't have to get too deep but that yeah i think it's important to be be mindful of your own mental and um physical health i appreciate you asking i mean it's, it's well awesome. i mean you got me for one so i'm always here yeah but and i feel that i really do yeah, I, I yeah. think we i think this is an opportunity for everybody to hear this and myself it's like it's okay to ask for it you know it's yes. okay you don't have to run in that corner over there I mean, it looks really cozy and quiet, and you don't, you think you need the cozy and quiet, but you don't. You kind of need a kick in the ass. Yeah. And you need community, like you were saying. You need community sometimes. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, it's, it was right there, Nathan. You it got was, me. You got it me. Just, it was hanging right there. You and got I just, me. I just plucked it off and 
Mm-hmm. Eat that apple. Um, well, I love what you're doing. I know that it doesn't make some sense to everybody all the time, and I don't think it has to. I just think as long as you're having a good time doing it, people love it. None of it's hurting anything or anyone. I can't see what's wrong with it, but I know at the same time that maybe as you're trying to as you're trying to figure out how to bottle this up a little bit, maybe then you'll figure something out, or maybe you'll just figure out that there's eight different bottles. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be any one or two bottles specifically. It doesn't have to necessarily be bottled up. Maybe it could just be a big mud, and maybe it could just be a big puddle on the floor. And, and I well, believe in being. I really believe in the thing. You know, like yeah. what's the thing? Yeah. Well, my thing is meeting people where they are. Yeah, that's the thing. That's been the thing since I realized that I'm really good at being a funeral director. I meet all walks of life. I meet dirty people who have no clean clothes. I meet people who have no money. I have people who are from Mexico and I have to get them back to Guatemala and they don't speak any English and I have to find a translator because my Spanish is poor. I meet the wealthiest of wealthy. I have a yeah. podcast and I, li- I meet people who listen on their walks. I have music and I meet music lovers. I'm meeting people where they are. And there's yeah. my messy puddle. You can step in it if you want to. <laughs> but you don't have to. You don't yeah. have to. You, you can also just not around. come in. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I'm fine with that too. And as you said earlier, it's you don't need someone to like you. You don't need that. Mm-mm. You know. But at the same time, uh, this is a good, great community. You can be a part of it if you want to be. I would love for you to be. Yeah, I love that. That's actually a really good place to come to a stopping point, Nathan <laughs> Morris. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Well, for me I thank you too. This has yeah. been fun. Um, you guys, if you want to check in to what Nathan's doing, you can always go to any of his accounts. What are all your? Give me all your stuff. Give it to all of us right now. Nathan Morris Music on TikTok. Nathan Morris on Insta. Nathan Morris on Twitter. Nathan Morris on Mine. Nathan Morris Music dot com and a Partridge in a Pear Tree. Yes, I Dude, did it. That's you nailed it. You I just straight up breath. nailed it in one breath. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> do, there's no breaks in there. No, this hat's done, kids. Right here. This is how it's done. Radio 101. <laughs> Bronca ching, ta-da! All those other things you do to put an end note on it. Yeah. Well, thank you, seriously. Thank you for joining us. This was amazing, as always. We always have great talks, and I always love talking to you. Um, one day we'll actually meet, which is crazy. We've never actually, actually physically met, so we'll do that. But I, I promise. Think this entire hour episode, we've been hugging each other, so that's good. Yeah, we have. It's a great awesome. hug too. I needed yeah. it. I know that you needed it. Hey, man, man. Well, thank you very much, and I hope. Uh, you know how much you're appreciated too. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Alan Clark, thank you for caring about me. Thank you for being a friend, a real friend, a friend that is not a fair weather friend. It's not a level up friend. It's not what can you do for me, but what can we do for we? My grandfather always said, if it's, if it benefits you, and it benefits them, then it's a good idea, right? You have to follow your gut and your heart. And if your heart and your gut and your mind, you know, your mind is your brain, but your gut is your second brain. And if they're all in alignment, you need to really pay attention to that. My point is, is surround yourself with people who are good. And Alan is good. Season two is going to be a blip on the radar and, just a few but the dawn's coming and there's great things happening to me and my heart and hopefully you and yours and I challenge you you can keep meeting me where I am in music 
Find me on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all the musics. Stream previous episodes of this podcast because season three is a coming. Visit NathanMorrisMusic.com, grab some swag. Keep following all the shenanigans at Nathan Morris Music on TikTok, at Nathan Morris on Insta, at Nathan Morris Online, on the YouTube. And I cannot forge up any more gumption when I say you are loved far more than you could ever know. You are worthy. You are worth it. You are worth it. I choose you and I will see you very soon.